it is December 7, 1941. It is the day that President Roosevelt said would live in infamy. You probably remember what that day was. It was the, the, the day of the attack of Pearl Harbor when Japan uh, launched a sneak attack against the United States. If you remember your history, there was a war that was raging on both in Europe and in the Pacific. And in Europe, Hitler and, and, and the German forces were conquering territory and, and the efforts to fight them were increasingly unsuccessful. And same thing was happening in the Pacific against Japan. Japan, the Empire of Japan were, was conquering territory and and they were they were gaining ground in the Pacific, but you know, just uh, 20, 21 years or so out of World War One, the horror the horror uh, of war was still fresh in the minds of many of our nation's leaders, and, and and all these things were going on abroad, but because they were not going on right here in the United States, understandably, a lot of our leaders wanted to stay out of the conflict. Uh, they, they wanted to stay out of the war, but they learned a very important lesson on December 7th. The United States learned a lesson. It was the same lesson that, I, uh, that, that we learned on maybe another level in September of 2001. And here's that lesson. The lesson is this. You may not be looking for a battle, but that does not mean that the battle isn't looking for you. You might not be looking for a fight, but that doesn't mean the fight's not going to come to you. We learn that as a nation. It has uh, completely shaped uh, the way we approach foreign affairs and foreign wars, even today. And, and here's the thing. That, that little lesson, that's not just true for foreign affairs. That's true also for spiritual affairs. One of the biggest mistakes that, that many Christians make is assuming that the fight will go away if they just ignore it. You know, hey, we're told that there is a war going on, but we're just going to bury our head in the sand and pretend it's not there and hope it just goes away. As we have read the book of Ephesians, one thing has been clear from chapter 1 to chapter 6, all the way through from end to end, and that is this, that there is a war going on. It is a spiritual war. You can't avoid it. You can't run from it. You can't go around it. At some point, you're going to find yourself in a spiritual battle. Paul reminds us of our command as believers to make a stand against the spiritual enemy. In their attack against Pearl Harbor, Japan used six aircraft carriers, 353 planes, fire planes, dive bomber planes, torpedo bombers, and, and, and they were all used to attack a nation who was not ready for an attack. A nation that was not ready for the battle. A nation that was not ready for a war. And, and, and in that attack in Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, 2,400 Americans were killed. Another 1,100 plus wounded. 
Our nation's leaders were determined not to let that happen again. And so on December the 8th, the next day, the United States declared war against the empire of Japan. Three days later, Germany declared war on the United States. And so we returned the favor. And so began the American journey into World War II. Six months later, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, there was another very significant battle. Japan decided to launch an offensive attack, naval and air attack against the United States, uh, an attack on a naval base uh, in uh, on the Midway Island. Now, I haven't seen a movie, but a, a quick Google search will show you that it, 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 it was a different outcome. Okay, there was a much different outcome. The battle of Midway was different because, because this time the enemy didn't sneak up on an unprepared foe. They walked into a lion's den that was prepared ahead of time and a foe that was suited and ready for battle. Because of that, on June 7th, the end of the Battle of Midway, six months to the day of the attack against Pearl Harbor. See, see, when, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, they used six aircraft carriers to launch that attack. They used four to attack the island of Midway. And at the end of that battle, six months to the day, those four aircraft carriers that were used to launch the attack on Pearl Harbor, they were disabled and destroyed by the American forces that were there. Why? Because they were, because we were ready for the attack. You know, it's possible that when you walked into this place here today, and, and whether you put a smiling face on or not, whether anybody else could tell or could sense it or not, it's very possible that some of us walk in here today in the middle of a spiritual battle. The truth is, something is going on and you are battling against the attacks of the enemy. And I want you to hear the word of God say today. Stand. Stand your ground. Stand against the attacks of the enemy. If you're not in a spiritual battle, then you need to get ready. You need to get ready. Maybe you're in the calm before the storm, and you're looking around, and you're thinking, man, everything in my life is going great. Praise God. Give thanks with a grateful heart, just like we just sang. Okay? We praise God for that, but we also realize that no matter who you are, the battle at some point is going to come to you, so you should get ready. The enemy is coming, he is coming for you. So we're in Ephesians 6 today. We're going to uh, really focus in on verses 16 through 20, but I want to start at verse 14 just to get the complete thought here. Uh, and I will warn you at some point, we will go back and just briefly look at uh, some of the verses uh, just immediately before this. But I, I just want to start here in verse 14 in Ephesians 6, and we are going to read down to verse 20 as we hear the Apostle Paul tell us to stand. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 14. Stand, therefore... 
with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Father, we pray today that you would help us to better understand how to stand against the attacks of the enemy. May we, in doing so, bring glory unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we began talking about God's call for believers in Christ to get ready to stand against the spiritual attacks of the enemy. In reality, you and I, we don't have the ability to withstand those attacks. You and I do not have that kind of strength. We're not capable of doing that. Just remember, the enemy of God, he is more powerful than we are. But here's what we sometimes forget when we're worried about the attacks of the enemy. Sometimes we forget that we serve a God and there is a God that lives inside of us who is the most powerful force in all of the universe. There is victory in his name and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the power of Christ, is the most powerful thing in all of creation. Is the most powerful force and he is more powerful than the enemy. So we have to understand that we're going to stand our ground and we're going to do it in and through the power of God at work in us. And so Paul says, verse 11, to put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens, verse 13. This is why, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be you may be able to resist the resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Listen, Paul is talking about the armor of God, not the armor of you. It's the armor of God, not the armor of me. See, God never expected us, and he does not expect us to do this on our own. He knows that we are unable to do this, to fight this fight. That's why he has given, given to us an armory, an arsenal, spiritual weapons to be used in this spiritual fight that we will find ourselves in. And so, as he does that, he begins to describe 
the, the different gear that a Roman soldier in those days would have worn. And he actually, uh, if I'm understanding this correctly, he actually lists them in the order that these things would have been put on as a soldier would have suited up. And so uh, if you remember last week, he talks about uh, the belt of truth. We talked about the belt of truth and some of the some of the significance of the belt of truth. And, and, and afterwards, uh, I, I got to have a conversation with, uh, with our resident expert on the armor of God who happens to be my lovely bride. And, and we were talking about that. And some of, you, some of you may remember, I know a lot of the ladies went through the armor of God study about uh, Priscilla Shire that she had led uh, several months ago. And so... Uh, we were talking about, about that, about the armor of God, and she mentioned a couple things that I did not mention that I thought were, were worth talking about here this morning because they, they sort of wrap around exactly where we're going with these other three uh, pieces of armor. But uh, the, the belt of truth is the first thing that you put on, so it is really at the core of the armor, okay? On the belt of truth is a, is a place to, to hang the sword. Okay, uh, and so it's it's very important. It's a, it has some utility to it, even even uh, after uh, you know uh, being able to, to serve as something that would gird you and protect you and guard you. Uh, but it also had some other utilities to it. It, it had a had a fastener on it that would fasten to the breastplate. Remember the next thing Paul talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. And we said last week that that was the one piece of the armor of God or the, 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 the battle gear, uh, the, the uniform of a Roman soldier that they would have, to, would have had to have had help putting on. They would put it on and it would fastened usually in the back or fastened together uh, you know against that soldier and so we, we talk about how uh, how the righteousness that Paul's talking about and he says the breastplate of righteousness the righteousness that he's talking about is not my righteousness it's not your righteousness it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ and it's, and it's fitting that that would need to be put on because you and I need the righteousness of Christ put on to us. And that is what happens whenever you come to a relationship in Jesus Christ. You come to God through faith in Jesus. You, you put on Jesus' righteousness. You, you inherit that righteousness. He gives it to you. He's already earned it. He just gives it to you, straps it around you. But here's the thing, that righteousness is a very heavy thing. Can you imagine carrying the weight of the righteousness of God? But yet, with the, the breastplate and the belt of a Roman soldier, that belt had, had little fasteners on it. And, and the breastplate would fit down on that belt and it would fasten to it. And, and when it did, the weight of that breastplate was, 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 was coming down, not just on the shoulders, but even more so, it was being carried by the belt. And here's, here, here's what we understand. When the truth of God is at the core of who you are, then the righteousness of God will rest on his shoulders instead of yours. When the truth of God is the very core, it all starts with the truth of God. 
God. When the righteousness is resting upon the truth, it's God who bestows his righteousness on you. God who will carry the load for you. So we talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about the sandals of readiness from the gospel of peace. All of these things are things that a soldier would wear all the time. And this is a great example. This picture on the board is a great example of what we're talking about. The first three things that Paul mentions to put on are things that a soldier would normally wear. You think about uh, being at McDonald's somewhere or, uh, or a grocery store and you see a, a, a man or a woman who's a soldier in the United States Armed Forces and, and they're wearing these camo, we call them BUs, battle dress uniforms. They're wearing their, their uniform and this is just what you would wear. And so, so truth in, 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 in righteousness and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of peace, these are things that we should always wear. These are things that should identify us as believers. Again, it's not our righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness that has been given to us. All of these things should identify us as believers, just like the uniform here on, on the left would identify uh, a soldier in the army or in the armed forces. But then Paul says, the next three things he says are things to take up. See, these are things you, you pick up when you're specifically going into battle. Because a soldier going into battle doesn't just walk into battle with their just standard BDUs, okay? There's other gear that they need in order to do battle. They pick up a weapon. They have a backpack. They have, instead of a hat, they have a helmet that is uh, to, uh, to repel bullets and to, uh, to protect their head. They have uh, this, this belt, and it's more of a utility belt. They just hold their, hold their pants up. It's a belt that, that they put things on. They put uh, things that they're going to need in the field. You can see, if you look closely uh, on this soldier's right side, he's carrying a canteen. But yet, the, the other soldier is not ready for battle. He doesn't need that canteen because he's, he's not in the field. And so Paul says, there is a battle going on. You need to soldier up. You need to put on your uniform. But next, next you need to you need to go the extra mile. Next, you need to prepare for battle. You need to pick certain things up. The first thing he tells us to pick up, verse 16, is the shield of faith. The shield of faith in every situation. Take the shield of faith, and with it, you will be able to extinguish all. The flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, to a Roman soldier, the shield was a crucial tool of battle, specifically designed to protect them in the heat of battle. It was typically about two and a half feet wide, by about four feet tall. It was large enough to cover the body of a Roman soldier. Now, I did some research on this. Uh, the other day, I was wondering how tall was the average Roman soldier in those days. And there's a lot of, a lot of guesses, but they were taller than four foot. They were about five, 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 five seven. You might see some, you know, I think they said Julius uh, Caesar 
or Caesar Augustus, one of those two, was like five, eight, five, nine. Uh, they were not terribly tall people, but they were taller than four foot. So you know what that means? It means if they're going to be protected by that shield, they put it in front of them, and they had to crouch down behind it. You see, an unused shield is not going to do you any good. The fact when you study these shields, you'll know that, uh, of course, they had some metal inside of them, but the outside of the shield was covered typically with leather or a leather-like um, leather material, and the, the leather was, was specifically designed to catch those darts that were fired at them. And not only that, but they would often soak the leather in water and get as much water soaked into the pores of that leather as possible because the enemy not only would shoot an arrow, but he would shoot a flaming arrow. So, so maybe he shoots that arrow at you. It doesn't quite hit its target. It doesn't quite get exactly where it's going. But then you go to grab it and pull it out of your shield and you go, ouch, it's on fire. And so you still get burned a little bit, don't you? But see, the shield of faith not only catches those arrows, but it extinguishes them. It says it's able to extinguish every or all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so the shield of faith was a crucial tool that was used in battle. It only protects you when you take it up and you crouch down behind it. You see, in order to do that, You've got to trust that it will protect you. I mean, if you were going into battle, would you rather have, in today's terms, a bulletproof vest on, or would you rather just walk out with a piece of cardboard in front of you, okay? You know, you know that that cardboard probably ain't going to protect you very much, all right? So you have to believe. You have to believe that there's protection in that shield, it takes faith. You need to trust God. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've been saved, then, then Scripture says you were saved by faith. You, you place your faith and trust in Jesus for that which is eternal. You have said, if you are an authentic believer in Christ, at some point you have said, I believe that Jesus died on the cross of my sins. I believe that that's all that I need for salvation. And I'm trusting in that. I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting in the church. I'm not trusting in a religion. I'm trusting in Jesus. I put my faith in God for that which is eternal. But you know some of the same people that say they believe in Christ and that they trust in Jesus for that which is eternal? You know, that those same people have a hard time trusting God with the things that are temporary, the things of this earth. That, 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 that are just uh, momentary. You know, maybe they think, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Hallelujah. Praise God. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that that's supposed to affect my relationships in my life? Are you telling me that that's supposed to affect how I do my job and how I interact with my family? Wait a minute, you're telling me, I mean, I trusted God with eternal, you're telling me that that, that, that affects 
the things on this earth that are temporary? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what, that's what he's telling you. And so we have to understand that this shield of faith is crucial. Here's the deal. Faith in and of itself is a protective barrier between the believer and the schemes of the enemy. We take up that shield when we choose to believe, when we choose to believe God and we choose to take him at his word. So, so as a believer, you may be a believer, you may have, have the uniform on, but if you don't take up that shield of faith and say, yes, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust God when he calls me to march in this direction. I'm going to trust God when he gives me certain orders that maybe doesn't make sense. Hey, I'm going to trust God when, when, when society says that these things are okay, but the Bible says that they're not. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have faith in him. And that will be the shield that is going to help protect you from the enemies and the arrows that the enemy will launch at you, the lies, the deceptions that he's going to fire at you. So we see the, the shield of faith. Next thing we see is the helmet of salvation. Very first part of verse 17. He says, uh, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet that a Roman soldier would wear typically was made of iron, came down over the head, covered the back of the neck, came down the side of the cheeks. Uh, it was really uh, it was really designed to give maximum protection uh, and, and while still giving a soldier the ability to see and breathe, okay? Uh, and so it was specifically designed for that. And so Paul says to take the uh, the uh, the helmet of salvation. So like the shield, the helmet was something you would pick up and you would put on when you went into battle. And then when you put it on, you didn't just put it on and maybe walk a few steps. It was something you put on and when you were in battle, you kept it on. You kept it on because it was important to in order for you to survive those attacks. You ever wonder why Paul says to put on a helmet of salvation. A lot of times I think, um, you know, we make a lot out of the fact that it's called salvation. I think it's called the helmet of salvation because it, it, it literally will save your life uh, from the, literally will save you from the attacks of the enemy if you put it on. Here's why I think he says it's a helmet. Because just like the breastplate of righteousness protects your heart, so too the helmet protects your mind from the, uh, from the, <clears throat> the attitudes and the influences of the enemy. See, here's the deal. Uh, the attitudes you have in your mind, the, the way that you think, the things that influence you, the things that influence the way that you think, those things, the way you're thinking in your mind, that directs what you're going to do in your life. Those things are going to direct your actions. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me over the years or seen something on the internet where someone says something like this. I'm a Christian, but, and there's feeling blank. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I, I'm 
I'm a Christian, but nah, I don't read my Bible. I'm a Christian, but I don't ever share my faith. I'm a Christian, but I don't know that you can really trust everything that is in the Bible. You know what that is? When people say that, that is a sign of someone who doesn't have their helmet on. Someone whose who's, who's mind and their thinking about the Bible has been distorted by the errors of the enemy's deceptions. Listen, put the helmet on. It will protect your mind. So here's some ways uh, that you can put that helmet on and keep it on. First of all, you need to realize those toxic or those sinful, those bad thought patterns that you have, those bad attitudes, that bad approach. You have to, as you are in the Word of God, as you are praying, as you are in discipleship, going through sanctification, God will alert you to those things. You have to identify those things. You have to realize them. But then once you realize, hey, I thought, I've been thinking the wrong way about this. The next thing is to repent of that. The Bible says to confess. When the Bible says confess, you and I think that what that means is to get something off our chest, like I'm going to fess up to it. But really, that may be part of it. But when the Bible says confess, it means to agree with God. And you're saying, God, I know that was dumb. And I agree with you. Like, I see that that was evil. And I agree that that was wrong. And, and, and so God, because I know that's wrong, I want to repent. I want to turn and go in the other direction. So you realize those toxic patterns. You repent of that sin. And then you renew your mind with the truth of God. This is exactly why I believe Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world or to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. What is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? One person, I don't know who it was, uh, found this quote. I thought it was good. I've seen it in a bunch of places. It says, fill your mind so full of God's word that there is not enough room for the lies of Satan. Okay? Renew your mind. You renew your mind through the things of God. Put on that helmet. It's going to protect the way that you think. So he says, he says to, uh, to take up the shield of faith, to take up, put on the helmet and keep it on, okay, because you're in a battle. The next thing he says to do is to take up the sword of the Spirit. He says, uh, uh, take up the sword of the Spirit, verse 17b, which is God's Word. Now, you know that the sword was a weapon that could be used both for, 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 for defense. If someone was striking at you with another sword or another weapon, you could put that sword up and block that attack. That attack. But the sword also is the only weapon that, that Paul mentions that is specifically designed not only for defensive strategy, but also as an offensive weapon. It is a, it is a crucial piece of battle gear that Paul is mentioning. 
in Matthew 4, if you remember, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan was throwing darts of temptation at Jesus when they were in the desert. And, and, and you can see, it doesn't say this specifically, but you can see that Jesus is using the, 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 the shield of faith, okay? His belief, his trust in God, and you got his the, the, the job that the Father has given to him, the direction that the Holy Spirit has led him in, he is trusting that. But then he, he flips around, not only using that shield of faith, but he uses the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every time Satan uh, attacks Jesus, Jesus responds with quoting the Word of God, and you'll notice that when that happens, Satan's strategy changes. From this strategy, and Jesus uh, implements the word of God as a weapon against the enemy, and, and suddenly now the enemy retreats from that line of attack, and he goes to a different line of attack, and eventually, though, he goes away. Why? Because of the word of God. It is a powerful weapon used against evil. Scripture tells us that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is a powerful weapon. We, we understand that God uses the Word of God not only to bring us into salvation, but He uses it for our sanctification. Salvation is when you become a believer. It's a, uh, it's a, you're saved by the blood of Jesus. You don't fully re realize your salvation until, uh, until you receive the fullness of that until you step into glory, but sanctification is a lifelong process that starts at conversion, and uh, it's a process of God making you and shaping you to be in His likeness throughout your entire life. He does that through the Word of God. You see, Paul could have ended there with talking about the Word of God, because the Word of God is greatly important. And a lot of people think there are only six pieces of armor. But I think that the next verse, verse 12, actually identifies what some could argue as a seventh piece of armor. Look at verse 18. He says, he says to pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Listen. Remember what Paul says earlier in the chapter. He says our fight is not with people. It's not with flesh and blood. It's with spiritual powers of evil. It's a spiritual fighting. Paul is so convinced of that that the very last thing he says to them, was well, not the very last thing he writes, but really is it in his instructions to them. The last instructions he gives is, would you pray for me? Paul didn't say, would you organize a militia and come get me out of this place? He was in prison. Remember, I'm in chains in here. No, he says, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray that I'm going to be ready to do what I'm supposed to do, what I'm called to do. I need you to pray that I'm going to say the right things at the right time and that, that God will lead me instead of me leading. I, I need you to pray that I wouldn't I wouldn't be defeated by the spiritual attacks of the enemy, but yet I would accomplish the will of God. Listen, prayer is powerful. It's essential in this fight. It empowers us. It, it charges up those pieces of armor to be used against the enemy. Here's the thing you need to understand. The attacks of Satan are not random. 
See, Satan, the enemy, he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. And so that's where he's going to attack. The attacks of Satan are specifically designed for you and for me. He may attack you with something, and he may throw a dart at you that may hit you right square in the eyes that will just blow right past me, but then he may shoot something at you that, you know, so far away from you that you, you'll never know, but it may hit me right in the heart. Okay? It's specific to you. And so we have to understand that prayer is the way that God guides us and he gives us the wisdom and discernment. Prayer is the, is, is, is the focus point. It's what gets us focused in, listening in to hear what it is that he has for us. Listen, a little while ago we talked about the, the differences in the battle of Pearl Harbor and the battle of Midway. You want to know one of the differences in the battle of Midway? We talked about the fact that we were ready. But see, we were ready uh, because we were, we, were, we, were, we were ready for war at that point. But as we were ready, see, our intelligence uh, personnel were listening to the communications of the Japanese commanders. And the Japanese commanders had a secret code, different codes they were using to communicate their intentions. And our people broke that code and figured out what they were going to do. And then they told our commanders so that we could be ready. Listen to me. God has, breaking, has broken the code of the enemy. There is not one thing that the enemy is going to shoot at you. Not one arrow he's going to throw your way that God does not already know about. He knows the code. So you need and I need to be communicating with him. To be led by him through the power of prayer. You want to use the armor of God the right way? Listen to God. He has cracked the code. See, whether you realize it or not, there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war going on out there. And it seems you got two choices. You can bury your head in the sand, pretend it's not there, just hope it just goes away, which is a path that leads to disaster. Or you can armor up. You can stand up. And spiritually, you can't fight. Let's pray.